Good morning and welcome to Waypoint. My name is Trish DeVries and I'm part of the staff and the worship team here. And we're just so thrilled to be able to lead you in worship today. We want to take this time to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look, look to him for everything and to center our lives on him. So please sing with us.
us this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you could please have a seat. Well, as we're ending this series, Mind Games, we wanted to do one more Lincoln Park song for you. This is called Battle Symphony.
Anxiety, you are a part of me. You've affected the way I view the world, myself, and the things I do. You know, sometimes I question if the identity you've instilled in me is really true. You created a situation where a silent room could be a deafening realization. Sick stomach mind rattled by intimidation. It may be silent to you, but in my head, it's a chaotic abomination. A self-view of less than embarrassment or lack thereof fortitude. My heart is your dwelling place. My mind is your institute. You wake me up with an incredibly fast heartbeat, a feeling of no escape, no hope, no relief from the anxious pain inside of me. You stop me on a dime with the horrific thought that this world is done and we've run out of time. Society's lies whispered to my eardrums. You are not the one and you will never be loved. See, this smile is just merely a product of our culture, our world with fake book and all the masquerades that we fearfully wear, pretending all is well because we fear people really knew it was behind the curtain, uncertain that they really want to know the real you, the real me, the real us. See, surely they won't want my imperfection. Your entrance will diminish their affection, and if that's the outcome, I don't really want that attention. Because when they peel back that curtain, they will see the great Oz that has spoken. Because anxiety, you've been with me longer than any other relationship. And now I think it's time that we define that relationship because you know my darkest fears and you remind me of them daily. My soul's an insomniac from its tireless efforts to stop your attack. I just wish you'd leave me and be done with me. But then again, it's a lifelong journey. So I'll cry out to God early and beat on my pillow when your 2 a.m. wake up call comes. Or when paralyzed with fear, pinned to the ground, knowing the end is near, I'll lean on friends who love and care. And every day that you haunt me, I will nail you to that cross that I daily bear. 
See, the world may not understand your ugly face or be willing to embrace that you exist, but I think it's time they have a taste for who you really are and what you really do and that you alone are not stronger than the power inside of you. That you've won many battles and stolen many moments. The war still rages on, and it's a war I can't win. <laughs> but you see, I have Jesus behind me, followed by prayer warriors, church bodies, and the whole angel army, so I can't, but by God's will, we will. Today I stand, putting a face to your ugly, disgusting, painful name, fear, shame, doubt, insecurity, anxiety. Well, good morning. Welcome to Waypoint. Um, when we were talking about this mind game series, Blair told me that I was going to have an opportunity to speak on anxiety. And I realized, man, anxiety is something I've dealt with for a long time. It would be really cool if I could just share my story and explain a whole bunch of different things to you and just be open and transparent. And so, so I wrote down part of a poem, and then Isaac perfected it. He was able to add the creative elements and make it what it was. And I'm so thankful that he was willing to get up here and perform that for you today. But that really embodies my experience with anxiety. And so when we talk about these mind games, they're not things that, that we're just talking about. These are things that we're dealing with. And so for Blair and Tracy, they want to be really transparent and real. For me, I want to be transparent and real with you guys. When Mike gets up here to speak, we want to be vulnerable because we believe that there is growth when we understand that we're all on a journey with Christ. And part of my journey has been anxiety. And so the past few weeks, I've had an opportunity to do a whole bunch of research, to think about it, to pray about it, and God's led me in some pretty cool ways and wants me to share openly with you today. But what I need you to know is that my experience with anxiety may not be your experience with anxiety. And so just because anxiety may look different in your life than what it does in mine, it doesn't mean that you don't have it. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It's a part of your story. It just might look different. But if you're here today and you're dealing with any mind game, maybe you're dealing with suicide and depression, maybe you're dealing with anxiety, Maybe you're carrying around guilt and shame that you never were intended to carry. Or, or maybe you feel like an imposter. You're in a position where you just really shouldn't be, and you're not qualified for what you're doing, but for whatever reason, you're there. Whatever it may be, the world would love for you to feel less than and, and undervalued. But the truth is, each and every person in here, no matter what mind game or sin or baggage you may be carrying in here, you are beautiful, you are handsome, you are loved, you add value to God's story, you matter, you have a purpose, and the fight is worth it. You were created by the greatest king to ever reign for a purpose. And the world would love for you to not get knocked off course and not identify what that purpose was. But you keep getting up, you keep fighting, because it's worth it. And the reason that I share my story with you today is because it's worth it for you to know that we're all in this mess together. And though you might not completely understand anxiety, I hope to let you in a little bit as I share my story today. 
See, for me, anxiety started as a young kid. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't even know if I could have known that I had anxiety at the time. However, I remember vividly having my first anxiety attack or freak out moment at the Pizza Hut off of 33. I don't know why, but I just had compelling feeling that something bad was going to happen. And it looked a little bit like this. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening, but I know something bad's going to happen. I know the sidewalk's going to open up. It's going to swallow me. I'll never see my family again. I'll never get to be a part of them. What happens if I never see my sisters? And this treadmill of thoughts, emotions, and irrational, unlogical stuff started to fly through my brain. And then it it continued. When I would go to a, a soccer camp or a church camp, And as soon as the door would get shut and I'd be in one room or another, all of the sudden I would feel trapped. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get out of here. What if those doors don't open up? What if this building, this cafeteria takes off and goes into outer space and I don't get to see my family again? All of these irrational thoughts flowing through my mind, knocking me off course and creating me to have these different anxiety attacks. And I remember in elementary school, my bedroom faced the driveway, and I would lay there in bed, and I'd be thinking to myself, man, one of my parents isn't home. Maybe they're working late. Maybe they're at a small group. Maybe they're with friends. They're doing something, and one of them isn't home. And I just would have so much anxiety in that moment because I would feel like something bad happened to them. And I just remember saying, Lord, please just bring them home. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've made mistakes. If you bring them home, I'll never do this. I'll never do that again. Just bring them home. Let me see the headlights up the driveway. Let me see them one more time. And then I'd see the headlights, and I would know everything was okay, and I'd be able to go to sleep. But anxiety is a part of who I am and a part of my story. And for some reason, in middle school, I had anxious moments, but I didn't struggle with anxiety like I had earlier in my childhood. And then all of a sudden, junior and senior year hit, and it came back. And I wasn't even sure what it was at the time because it it came out in a really weird way. See, I started having these compelling feelings that something bad was going to happen. For some reason, when I have anxiety, a lot of times it surrounds with the thought of death or destruction or just really negative stuff. And so as those thoughts were running through my head, my body would have to do something. And and it was a weird thing. And as a junior and senior in high school, it wasn't the coolest thing to do. But my arm would get get tight. My head would kind of go to the side. And my breathing would kind of increase. And I would have to make this motion until I felt a certain release. And I felt okay in that moment. And I might have to do it over and over again until I felt like things were right. And I don't know where it came from, but what I knew was we needed to figure out what was going on. So my parents helped me set up an appointment with the counselor in downtown Elkhart, went and saw him. He gave us a whole bunch of information and different feedback. But if I was being honest with you, I didn't really open up and tell him everything that was going on in those moments. And so he could only help me so far. But we knew that, well... Maybe more is going on. Maybe it's a medical issue. So I went to Rush University in downtown Chicago, talked to a neurologist. They hooked me up to all these different gizmos and things. And she went through some different questions and processes and saw me do this motion. And she came to a conclusion. She said, you know what, Nick? Here's the deal. We don't know why these things happen. But over the course of time in certain people's lives, you can develop a nervous tick. They can come out of anywhere, and they can leave just as quickly as they came. However, 
What's going on is you're having an outward expression of an inward anxiety. And so you're filled with all of these irrational thoughts and fears. You can't get rid of them, and so you have to release them somehow. And so she gave me some different strategies, and she also gave me some medicine to start taking. And so I took that medicine for a while, and I did those strategies, and things started to get better. Well, at this point, I was at college age, and I thought, wow, she said they can come and they can go. It must have run its course, and it must be done. I can get off this medicine. And so I stopped taking the medicine without talking to my parents or to the doctor. And I would not suggest that for anybody. If you're on some sort of medicine by the doctor, don't stop until you talk to them. Because I had to have a really uncomfortable and awkward conversation with her later down the road. But for some reason, whether it did just run its course or whether the strategies were working, it seemed to slow down and stop. Now... If you spend any time with me, you might notice, especially around dinner time, if I'm dealing with a lot of stress at work, or if things seem to be piling up around me, or if I've been carrying guilt and shame, and it might not even be about something that I did, it could be something in the way past that comes back up and is running on that anxiety treadmill, I, I kind of have to do emotion again. And, and my hand will get tight, and I'll have to tap something hard, and I might have to do it a few times until I feel better and that release leaves. Now, it's not as obvious, and I'm able to control it a lot better now than I ever was, and so you might not ever see me do it. But it is something that I feel like if I don't do that motion, I know something terrible will happen. And it's the only way that the anxiety will be released from inside of me. And it's kind of crazy because these are things, these mind games, are battles that start in our mind. And we try and leave them in the dark because we're embarrassed or because we don't even know that we're dealing with them. We just think it's normal. And they stay in there, but they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they can turn into other things. See, they can, they can turn into depression if you're dealing with anxiety for a long period of time. You might get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm just done. I'm ready to just take a step back, check out. I'm tired of fighting. I'll be here. I'll go through the motions, but I'm not really living my life. Or maybe you're dealing with so much guilt and shame, it's coming out with anxiety, and people can see it as anxiety inside of you, or you can feel it inside of you. Or maybe imposter syndrome, something we talked about the first week of this message, is what creates anxiety in you. You don't feel like you're qualified for where you're at. And for me, about two years ago, that's what happens. My wife and I were on vacation in North Carolina. It was about two in the morning. We were both sound asleep. And I woke up with that dreaded feeling that anybody with anxiety attacks would immediately recognize. Tunnel vision set in. I was sweating like a pig. My chest was getting tight. I was starting to hyperventilate. And all I could do was wake up my wife and say, Amanda, you don't understand. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. But I just know that I'm not qualified to be at Waypoint. I shouldn't be at Waypoint. I shouldn't be doing this job. It's going to get back to Blair. Blair's going to have to fire me. And it's okay that he's going to fire me. I don't care about that. What I care about is all the founders and all the people that put in so much hard work to make Waypoint go. And all that's going to be ruined. I'm going to ruin Blair's reputation. And the thoughts went on and on. And she was like, whoa, it's 2 in the morning. What are we doing here? What's going on? And, and she tried to process through it with me and say, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense. You're in the position that you felt called to be in. It's okay. 
But in my mind, I was thinking, no, it's not okay. You don't understand. This is completely rational that I feel this way. It makes total sense. And what she realized in those moments was that when I'm having an anxiety attack or when I'm feeling anxious, all that she can do is say, I'm here for you. I got your back. I'm praying for you. I'm in this space with you. I'm not going anywhere. And that right there is more than her saying, that's irrational, just calm down. All of that stuff goes out the window and somebody just saying, I'm here for you. I'm in this space. I know it's messy, but I'm not going away, is what it takes for me to be able to rationalize through the anxiety attack and come out on the other end. And if you know somebody that deals with anxiety, maybe you don't understand it whatsoever, and that's completely okay. But please don't tell them that what they're thinking is irrational or just calm down. It's not that big of a deal. Because in those moments, their whole world is crashing down all around them, and they're just trying to figure out how to function. See, the problem with this is anxiety attacks people at different levels. And so we might not understand what somebody is dealing with. Um, th there was a chart that somebody shared with me, and they kind of drew it out. They had heard it from somebody else, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. See, the chart is, was kind of a baseline, a baseline that somebody without anxiety is functioning in. And it, it say it's down here, and you're just going along, and then all of a sudden, an anxious moment happens in your life. Maybe the fight or flight stimulus goes off, and all of a sudden you jump up to here, but you're able to come back down and continue with your life, and things seem to be back to normal. Well, somebody with anxiety, when your baseline's down here, they might be up here. And so when they're going along, they're already at a higher level of anxiety that you would ever be able to understand. And when anxious moment comes, they go skyrocketing up here. And for them to come back down to what their normal is, is a lot of work, let alone for them to ever consider coming down to what your normal is. And so I think that's part of the reason anxiety is such a hard thing for us to understand. I think people that deal with anxiety struggle to understand it because maybe they just think it's normal and just part of their personality and they don't know any different. People that don't deal with anxiety don't quite get it or understand as well. But the truth is 18% of our youth deal with anxiety and 25%, I'm sorry, I got that. Yeah, 18% of our youth and 25% of adults. So a quarter of our adult population deals with anxiety of some sort. They think that these numbers are rising. They think they're rising because of the fast-paced, perfectionist lifestyle that we live in. See, a teen gets on Snapchat and sees a friend that's hanging out with another friend. Maybe they're on vacation together. And all of a sudden, thoughts start running through their mind. Well, why didn't I get invited to that? I, I thought I was pretty cool. I thought I was a part of this group. I want to be there. Why didn't I get to come? And the treadmill can start. Or for an adult, maybe you're scrolling through social media and you see family friends that are always on vacation and you feel like, man, I can't afford to go on vacation. I'd love to take my family somewhere, but I can't afford that. Am I not a good enough provider? Look, this family just took family portraits. My husband and I, my wife and I, we've been fighting for the past month. We can't even get on the same page. I can't imagine taking family pictures. They must really love each other. What's wrong with me? And it creates this whole mindset 
of unhealthy anxiety that is going through people's lives. And so Christians have tried to take a stand, and I think it came from a good place. It came from a place of scripture, but it also came from a place of not understanding that people are interacting with anxiety at different levels. See, they've looked at stories like 2 Chronicles verse 20, where there's a king, and this king just took over, and he's going to lead his army against other villages, and he's going to take care of them and beat them, defeat them, and God's promised to protect them. And so as this king goes out and he tells his village, we're going to go ahead and we're going to step into this arena, and it's going to be messy, but God's promised to protect us. Well, the villagers start saying, listen, we, we can't go into this situation. We're outnumbered. We're outmanned. What are you thinking? And all of a sudden, an anxious moment, anxiety, worry starts to set in on this guy's life. And he realizes, well, maybe we are outnumbered. Maybe we can't do this. What are we going to do now? And so he cries out to the Lord. He calls for the whole village to start fasting and start praying. He cries out to the Lord. And two people in the village hear from God. And they respond to the village in this way. In 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17, God spoke to them and said, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That's what they did. They went out, they faced them, and a few other armies joined in, and they ended up not having to fight this bloody battle that everybody thought they were going to fight. And what Christians have come across, and what they have said, is see, when anxiety comes in your life, you cry out to God, and you trust God, and it will go away. They said, look, look at scripture. It, it talks about this all over the place. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Mark 6.50, because, because all saw him and were terrified, immediately he spoke and said, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Psalms 34.4, I sought the law and he answered. He delivered me from all of my fears. Listen, if you have anxiety, trust God and he'll take it away from you. But the problem with that is if I heard that, somebody who, who has a level of anxiety, what I would hear is that I'm not trusting God enough. And that if I simply trusted him more, all of these feelings that I have would go away. And all of a sudden, the treadmill would start running in my mind, and I would start to think, oh my gosh, I don't trust God. Why don't I trust God? If I were to die today and I met God, would he say, man, if you just trust me like this person, everything would be okay, but you didn't trust me. Why couldn't you trust me? And it goes on and on in my head, and it could create a real hurt in somebody's story. And so I don't think it is simply a lack of trust in God in one moment, and if you put your trust in God, things are automatically going to get better for you. I think there's more to it. Now, I do think that you could be carrying something spiritually around with you that you weren't intended to carry, and Satan could attack on that darkness in your life, and it may be time for you to give that to God, but if anxiety is something that is constantly coming back and coming back and coming back, I don't think it's as simple as, well, trust God more and everything will go away. I think that's part of it, 
but I think there's more to it. And to identify what the more to it may be, we have to look in the word and make some inferences. Because to tell you the truth, I can't open this book up and say, oh, Malachi 3.11, Malachi had anxiety, he did X, Y, and Z, and everything got better. It, it doesn't plainly spell that out. Instead, God gave us a bunch of examples of when anxiety came into people's lives, how they responded. And that's what I want to look at. I want to look at David's life. I love David because I think David is you, and, is you and I. David was somebody who was broken and was a mess, wasn't qualified, and God called him and said, hey, even though you're broken, I can still use you. And I think that's what God is doing to you and I on a daily basis. And so there were some pretty key times in David's life where he wrote a psalm and there was some stuff going on in his life that I want to talk about. So in Psalm 27.1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, David wrote this in response to something pretty big that was going on in his life. His son Absalom just took over another kingdom and was getting ready to chase after David. His son wanted to kill David the father, wanted to take over and wanted to be the top dog. David had a reason to have anxiety or worry in his life, but how does he re respond? He says, whom shall I fear? In Psalms 56, three through four, it says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. David's saying, when anxiety comes in, I'm gonna trust you. Right now, David was being held up by the Philistine army. He was actually trying to hide amongst them as Saul was chasing him around from place to place. Saul was trying to kill him. And as Saul's army started defeating the Philistines, they realized, wow, we're getting beat up because of this guy. We're going to get rid of him. And they said, hey, let's stop fighting. Here's your guy. Come get David. David did not know if he was going to live or if he was going to die. He had a reason to experience an anxious moment right then. And what's he do? He cries out to God and says, God, I trust you. Psalms 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David was just now realizing that the time had come for him to battle his son and to fight to the death. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be in that space. But he said, God, you comfort me. I trust you. Or in Psalms 55, 1 through 3, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my pleas. Near me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in, in their anger. Right now, David's world was crashing down all around him. His friends had kind of abandoned him. His family had turned their back and he experienced an anxious moment. And what's he do? He cries out to God to trust God. See, I wonder to myself, did, did David ever experience anxiety because of guilt and shame when he, he lusted after his neighbor's wife? Did, did he ever have any anxiety before he faced Goliath? David had a lot of big moments in his life where anxiety and worry came in and he responded by trusting in God. And what I think is that when anxiety comes into our lives, we have an opportunity to trust God. Now, I don't think there's a magical pill that you can trust God enough to take away anxiety for the rest of your life. I think it could be part of the plan. But what I love about David's life 
is it was a lifelong journey of him going back to God and saying, I trust you. All right, here's anxiety. I trust you. All right, I'm nervous. I could die here, but I trust you. It's not one time where he says, all right, I trust God enough, and now I'm fixed. I'm all better. He continuously is having to go back to God, and I think that that is really big in our journey. If you're someone that deals with anxiety, you may have to continuously go back to God. And I also have some other action steps that may help you. But first off, you have to understand that you are not alone in this battle. David dealt with anxiety. Jonah dealt with anxiety. Joshua, plenty of people from the Bible had anxiety or worry in their life where they were facing huge issues and they showed us what we need to do. They showed us by having a clear and accurate picture of what the battle was and by going back to God. And there's 25% of the population that are in the same battle with you. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. And if you want to have a shot at overcoming this, these are the things that I found helped me at least deal with anxiety. The first thing is, I have to acknowledge it. Just name that it is there. Speak truth to it when you start to feel anxious. Say, okay, I know that this is coming. I've had this feeling before. I know what's about to happen. I've beaten it before. I know what to do. Number two, you've got to cry out to God in those moments where the treadmill is running over and over again in your head. For me, it looks like a life verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 for God did not give me a spirit of timidness, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And I say it over and over and over again. And sometimes it's not enough to get rid of the anxiety, but I just keep saying it. For God did not give me a spirit of timidness, but of power, love, and self-discipline. But God did not give me a spirit of timidness, but love, power, and self-discipline. And I just keep speaking that truth into my mind to go against the anxiety. Number three, you should learn the triggers. If you feel anxiety, take a moment and think, okay, what just happened that made me feel this way? Was it something that somebody said to you? Was it something you read and saw? Was it small spaces? Was it large groups of people? Was it social media? Every time you get on there, you just start to feel a little anxious. What is it in your life that may be a trigger? Not so you can avoid those arenas, but so you can go into those arenas with the fighting chance at beating it. So that you can go in there prepared and ready to go, and you can know what's about to happen. And then lastly, this is probably the most important one, you may need to seek help. For me, if I didn't go to Rush University, I wouldn't understand anxiety like I do today. If I weren't to talk with my wife about it and explain how I was feeling, which I don't do a great job at, I like to keep things hidden and protected um, inside of me because that's a safe place, I wouldn't be where I am at today. But you may need to find a team that can surround you and love you, that may be family, that may be friends, that may be going to a doctor and sitting down and explaining to them what's going on. You shouldn't be ashamed. You shouldn't be embarrassed. A quarter of the population is in this game with you. And I'll tell you what. There's a lot of them that go here at Waypoint that have been in this area, have dealt with it, and that would be a pretty safe place to start. If you don't know who to cry out to, 
I would encourage you, we can partner you up with somebody that's wrestling with the same stuff and can explain their story. Maybe they're a little more seasoned. Maybe they're not as seasoned as you are in this area. But, but you need to talk to someone. You need to seek help somewhere. It's not enough because the truth is that song you heard said, this is my battle symphony. When the darkness comes in and knocks me down, I'm going to mend my armor and get back up. Please don't give up on me. And those words are incredibly powerful. But the truth is, you will mend your own armor and you will get back up for a period of time. But eventually, those hurts, those mind games will win if you don't have people surrounding you that can help pick you up, that can help carry the burden and can help get you to the next level. You've got to surround yourself with people. Now, I want to end with this note before we transition to the final thing. And this is somebody that I was talking to one day who deals with anxiety, deals with anxiety to a level of where it's kind of dictated what they've done at times. She said to me, you know, Nick, I, uh, I've dealt with anxiety for a long time, but the truth is I thank God every day that he gave me anxiety. Because if he didn't give me anxiety, I wouldn't be as close to him, I wouldn't trust him, I wouldn't love him as much as I do today. And I absolutely hate it when the attacks come on. I hate it when I can't focus on anything else because the treadmill of thoughts is running through my brain. But I thank him for it because it draws me near to the cross and it makes me so thankful for what he did for me. So it's kind of crazy to think about as we talk about all of these dark things, suicide, depression, anxiety, imposter syndrome, guilt and shame, that we're choosing to end this series with communion. But the truth is, when darkness came into the world, God sent his son to be the light. And his son died on that cross for your guilt and shame, for your anxiety, for your depression, for whatever you're carrying with you, it died on that cross that day. And that's why it's so important for you to continuously be reminded of what he did for you for you to go back to that cross often, and for you to recommit your life to him. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and people who are gonna help serve communion as I explain how this is gonna look. See, here in a minute, the people that are gonna give communion are gonna walk to certain locations and you're gonna have an opportunity to go to them. But before you do that, I'm gonna ask you to reflect on a few things. See, I'm gonna ask you to reflect on your life with Christ right now. Are you carrying around a mind game that you just need to give up to him? Are you carrying around a sin, a struggle, guilt, or shame? I want you to reflect on that and take these moments to invite him into that space and allow him to be a part of your story. Or, or are things going well in life? Jobs are going well. Family's healthy. If that's you, I want you to take a moment and reflect on God's goodness in your life. And I also want you to say a prayer. Say a prayer asking God to put somebody on your heart that may be dealing with one of these mind games or struggles that you could reach out to this week. And then lastly, if you haven't accepted Christ into your heart yet, I'd ask that you consider doing that. Ask yourself, why am I here today? What brought me here? What has Jesus done in my life? Is it time for me to invite him along with this journey as I continue to go forward and allow him to be part of the author of my story. See, here at Waypoint, you don't have to be a partner to take communion. You don't have to go to any class. The only thing that we ask is that you've accepted Christ into your heart because this really is a, a 
representation of what he did for us. And if you've made that decision, then you're more than welcome to participate in communion today. What's going to happen is I'm going to go over there and serve the people that are going to serve you communion first. Then I'm going to send them to different locations. One person will be by the back exit door. One person will be under this screen. And one person will be over under this screen. And then I'll be right down here with a gluten-free option. So if that's what you need, feel free to come to me. Once you get to them, you'll pull off a small piece of bread. And they'll say, this is the body broken for you. They'll then, you'll then dip it in the juice and they'll say, this is the blood shed for you. You can take that and eat it right then or go to your seat while the band plays some music and reflect on what God has done in your life. Now, I'm not going to come back up here and dismiss you. So once you see that they're in their stations, if you would, just quietly stand up and move to one of the locations. If you would, take a second and reflect on what Christ means to you in your life right now.
Oh
you please stand and sing this last song with us? safe
this week knowing that you are who you say you are, that we can center our lives on you. We just thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out today. We hope you have a great week.